Well, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you take them and turn to Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6, and while you're finding that, maybe stick a finger or a piece of paper in Acts chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 6 and Acts chapter 8. And while you're doing that, I have a question that I'd like to ask you this morning. How do you solve a problem like Maria? Now, some of you are scratching your heads going, what is he talking about? And others picked it up right away. Uh, You recognize that song from the, the movie, The Sound of Music. I wonder if you've seen the movie, The Sound of Music, what is your favorite song from that movie? Based on my research, if I don't miss my guess, probably most of us in here and watching online, our favorite song is this clip, which those watching online won't be able to hear, but I think you'll figure it out. You know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything. That line alone from that musical is evidence to me that Rodgers and Hammerstein never knew me, because although I made the note, know the notes, believe me, you don't want to hear me sing them. <laughs> We've been studying from the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, a list of things that the, the writer of Hebrews says are basic or elemental or fundamental truths of the Christian faith. These are things that if we'll build our lives on these, then we'll be able to continue to mature from, you know, from infant to spiritual parent. Like Julie Andrews saying, when you know the notes to sing, you can sing most anything. The, the writer of Hebrews might say, when you live these things, then you'll be able to eat meat. So what we want to do today is we want to go back to this list of fundamental truths that the writer of Hebrews presents us with and, uh, and continue to see on what it is we need to build our life and our understanding. So we're going to read from Hebrews 6, starting at verse 1. As, as we do, I want to draw our attention to something we haven't noticed yet. And that's that this list that the writer gives us here, these six things, Uh, He presents to us in couplets. So follow along as I read, starting in uh, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ. Now let's just be clear when he says let us move beyond. He's not talking about let us put these things in the past and never think about them again or never do anything with them again. Like the do, re, mis, these are the things that we keep coming back to. They're the, the foundation of our faith. So we don't forget about them. Um, but he's saying, let's build on them. Let's, let's keep moving forward, not always being stuck on these fundamental things. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again, and now here's the first couplet, the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and faith in God. So those are the, the first two things. These, these two things are about how we enter into the kingdom of God. And then the second couplet, verse 2, instruction about cleansing rites and the laying on of hands. This second couplet is about how we enter into and live in the church community. And then there's one more couplet here in verse 2, the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. This third couplet is about eternal life and looking forward to that reality. Verse three, the writer says, and God permitting, we will do so. We will build on that foundation and not have to continually come back to learning and reemphasizing that, but we'll build on that and grow to maturity. So we have here uh, 
three couplets or three sets of two that the, the writer of Hebrews says are foundational to our Christian faith. These are the things that if we know them, but more importantly, live them, will help us to grow. Again, we have repentance and faith. These are about how, like I said, we enter the kingdom of God. It's understanding that the, um, the ability to receive God's grace and God's mercy uh, is initiated as, we're re, as we repent, as we are repentant. And we can only do that because we have faith in God that his grace will be sufficient, that his mercy will forgive us. The second couplet he talks about is baptism and the laying on of hands. And I, like I said, this is about how we enter into and live within the church community. These things, baptism and the laying on of hands, these are the way that that we communicate God's grace to each other as we live together in Christian harmony. And then the third couplet is the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. These are about entering into our eternal home. These remind us that the culmination of God's grace comes sometime at the end of this life, sometime when this life is over at a, at a time that only the Father knows when he returns And we're all judged for the decisions we made about living in the kingdom and living among the church community while we were here on earth. So today we're looking at uh, one of the second set of two, the baptism and the laying on of hands. Actually, depending on the the translation you have, it may say uh, something about cleansing rites, instructions about cleansing rites, I believe is how the NIV says it. That's That's a Jewish way of referring to this Christian practice of baptism. Now, what's interesting is that in the New Testament, baptism and the laying on of hands, they they often, but not always, they often go together, but they have one thing in common. And that's that they're both inauguration ceremonies or rites. They're things that happen at the beginning of something. So for baptism... In the New Testament especially, that was what inaugurated a person's entering into the kingdom of God. It it was baptism that demonstrated a person was ready to follow in faith and to repent and to follow God. Baptism said, uh, I'm now a participant in the community of faith in the church. The laying on of hands was a new uh, was a, a sign or initiation inauguration of the new believer's participation in the church. So baptism says, I'm present, I'm one of you. And the laying on of hands says, now I'm ready to participate and I'm ready to do what God is gifting me to do. Let me show you these as we look to the early church for for some examples. Uh, So Acts chapter eight, I asked you to stick your finger there. And then we're going to see the first of two ways that the laying on of hands was used, uh, participated in by the early church. So Acts chapter eight, I'm going to start reading at verse five. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he had performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. 
They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So let's be clear here. What Luke is saying is that when they believed the message about Jesus Christ that Philip preached, they repented. By faith, they came to repentance. They turned to God and they were baptizing, meaning that they became followers of Jesus Christ. Right? The, you know, we would say they, they invited Jesus into their hearts. They were inaugurated into their new family. Verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they, they had been simply baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now catch verse 16. There's, there's an important preposition there. Luke says that the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of the people in Samaria. Now remember, these are the people who had repented who had chosen to follow Jesus, and who had been baptized. So in our lingo today, we would say they had invited Jesus into their heart. Okay, notice that Luke didn't say that the Holy Spirit hadn't taken up residence in them. He didn't say the Holy Spirit wasn't in them. He said the Holy Spirit had not yet come on them. And so what we see happening, on, what we see happening here is, is the laying on of hands not to produce salvation, but to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to do what he does to give gifts. So the laying on of hands in the New Testament invites the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important to have a clear understanding of passages like this when we start to talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we need to make sure that we understand that Luke isn't saying here that until the Holy Spirit comes on somebody, until they have some kind of manifestation of spiritual gifts, that they're saved. That's not what Luke is saying here. Okay, the, 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 the giving of spiritual gifts does not equal salvation. Salvation happens, the Holy Spirit comes into a person before the Holy Spirit comes on them, to use this language. We're given spiritual gifts as a child of God, not so that we can become a child of God. It's important to understand that and not to get those two sideways. You see, one of the important parts of growing as a believer is understanding that through the Holy Spirit, God does want to give me specific practical gifts, abilities, talents, things that I can do to serve the local church and to serve those who don't yet know Christ to invite them uh, to come into a relationship with him. That's a, a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And we're going to talk more about that later this summer, this whole idea of spiritual gifts and what that looks like and what that means for the believer. So for now, let's move on. I want you to notice that when it comes to the laying on of hands as an invitation that the Holy Spirit would do what he does and give gifts to believers, there's a warning. There's a caution that happens actually here in this story. So I'm back in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start reading at verse 17. Luke writes, Then Peter and John placed their hands 
on them, the people who had been baptized, who were followers of Christ, but hadn't yet received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now this is where we get our word simony. Do you know what simony is? It's when people try to leverage wealth to gain power or authority in the local church or in a religious institution. It comes because of what Simon did here. He thought, I can perhaps buy the Holy Spirit. If I give the apostles money, then I'll have the same ability that they do. Notice that doesn't go over so well. Verse 19, uh, Simon said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So here's the warning about the laying on of hands. It's about the heart, not about the hands. The laying on of hands is not about the physical act of laying hands on somebody. It's about the heart of the one on whom hands are being laid. So we saw that with Simon here, right? The apostles laid their hands on people. They were gifted by the Holy Spirit for the ministry to which he had called them. And Simon said, I want a piece of that action. Okay, now there's not a problem here with Simon wanting to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's a good thing for believers. We should want to receive those gifts so that we can do what God wants us to do. There's not even a problem that Simon had a desire to help other people receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's a, that's a noble thing. With a right heart, that's a good thing. The problem here was that Simon wanted to receive the glory that only God could receive. So Peter responds to that very directly and, and really kind of has three things to say to Simon that we can read here in the text. First of all, um, Peter tells Simon and us that the Holy Spirit isn't ours to give. Although the laying on of hands represents an invitation for the Holy Spirit to gift believers, we're not the one giving the Holy Spirit. We, don't, we can't do that. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Godhead. What authority do we have to give him to anyone? We, when we lay hands on people, we are doing nothing more than serving as conduits through whom God may choose to work. We're doing nothing more than asking God to do what we believe he already wants to do, to, to pour out his giftings on these people on whom we're, we're not giving the Holy Spirit. We're asking God to do that. We're joining with what God already wants to do. Secondly, Peter indicates to Simon that, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are just that. They're gifts. They can't be earned. They can't be bought. And they can't even be taught. So when Sarah and I were in college, uh, dating in college, we visited a church together in Mishawaka. We went to Bethel College at the time, and, and so uh, we visited a particular church in Mishawaka, and on this, the Sunday that we had gone together, they had a special speaker there. 
And when the special speaker was done with her presentation, she invited the teenagers of the church to come to the front to where she was so that they could be taught to speak in tongues. And Sarah and I kind of looked at each other like, "Uh, what's this all about? Like, are we going to have to handle snakes next? What do we do? Here's the thing. If the gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts, they can't be taught. They can't be bought. It's what God chooses to do. It's how he chooses to manifest himself in people for his glory. And and the other thing that Peter indicates to Simon is that the Holy Spirit is not a tool to be leveraged for one's benefit. The Holy Spirit isn't a tool that, that I can leverage, that we can leverage for our own benefit. Now, for sure, we see it throughout Scripture. We see it throughout church history. When the Holy Spirit works through people in a powerful way, there is a sense in which the people around them tend to look at them and think, wow, look what God's doing through them. But the Holy, Holy Spirit only works in that way through people whose heart is prepared for that. Because God won't share his glory with anyone. And when he does the miraculous work, for example, like he did through Philip and bringing a city to himself, God doesn't want Philip getting the glory. God wants to receive the glory. And that's Simon's problem here. He wants to receive the glory that is only due to God. And so we have to be very cautious, very cautious of people who seem to enjoy the limelight more than they enjoy the giver of the light. You know, people in churches have myriads of reasons for serving. And, and truthfully, we don't really know people's deepest motivations. We don't want to go around being suspicious, but we have to be observant. We have to be cautious. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. When it becomes apparent that people or a person is more interested in leading than in serving, more interested in, in, uh, in teaching than being teachable, more interested in having authority than living under it, more interested in growing their platform and getting a bigger name and more recognition than in saying, he must increase, I must decrease. We need to be cautious because that's a cue that something in their heart is not right. Something in their heart is off. And as you saw here, the apostles had the wisdom to respond to that very directly and to call it out so that it could be repented of and put away. So I said we're going to look at two functions today of laying on hands in the New Testament. The first one is uh, to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to give gifts. Let's turn and look at the second one. Uh, the, The second opportunity or occasion of the laying on of hands is to initiate commissioning into a specific ministry, to initiate commissioning into a specific ministry. Perhaps you remember in Acts chapter 6, the early church faced a bit of a crisis. There was a ministry crisis among them, and they found that, that some widows were being overlooked in the distribution of you know, benevolent needs, uh, food in this case. And so they brought this to the apostles, or we would probably say in, in our modern church day lingo, they brought this to the pastors And the pastors said, we see that this is an issue, so here's what we're going to ask you to do. Find some men who meet specific qualifications 
and then bring them back to the, bring those people, those men, those names back to us. And we will turn over to them this responsibility so that this specific ministry isn't overlooked anymore. And so they, the, the body did that. They chose seven men who were full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. They brought those men to the pastors, to the apostles. And here's what happened, Acts 6.6. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so here's an example of a local church in the early church who said, we have some ministry that needs to be done. We're going to to prayerfully discern who should be put in charge of that. And then we're going to commission them to go do that specific ministry. We're going to lay hands on them and ask God to set them aside, to bless them, to equip them, to guide them for this specific ministry within our local church. And so it, it sets these men aside. When we, uh, another time when we lay hands on people is to set them aside for a specific ministry in a local congregation. But it's not just for ministry in a local congregation. There's a kind of a, a, a bigger umbrella too, and that's what we would call vocational ministry. Listen as I read from Acts chapter 13. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So this is an example in the New Testament of people being you know, thrust into what, again, we would call vocational ministry by the laying on of hands. It's the, the leaders of a church, the elders of a church, a congregation coming together and saying, we see God's work. We believe God has called this person into vocational ministry. And so we're going to lay hands and agree with God's call and ask him to bless them in that. And so when we do that, when we lay our hands as a congregation on people, whether it's for a specific ministry in the local church or whether it's uh, you know, a call to vocational ministry, we're saying that, that, that we agree. We think they're called to that. They, they have our approval by the discernment you know, that we've taken through the Holy Spirit to move forward in that direction. And by laying hands on them, we agree to share Uh, both in their fruitfulness, Lord willing, and also in their failure, should that be the case. We're saying we believe this is the right step for God, uh, that that God has called these people to take. That's why there's a, a warning with this kind of laying on of hands too. There's a warning about laying hands on people for specific ministry in the church and vocationally. Here's the warning. Haste is not your friend. Haste is not your friend. This is what Paul says to Timothy, who is himself a young pastor. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That's 1 Timothy 5.22. It doesn't get more direct than that, does it? Don't do this hastily. Do lay hands on people to commission them to work in the local church. Do lay hands on people to confirm them and commend them for vocational ministry. But don't do it hastily. Be slow about it. Be intentional about it. Be cautious about it. You see, some people have greater gifts than they do spiritual maturity. There needs to be some time for their spiritual maturity to catch up with their giftedness. 
a little bit of time, a little bit of pressure, a little bit of hardship, and it'll quickly become apparent if their gifts have surpassed their maturity. Be slow. Don't be hasty. Some people have a nice temperament and a nice personality for certain kinds of ministry. They seem wired to do certain things in the church or vocationally in some kind of vocational ministry. But with a little bit of time, a little bit of testing, we come to find out they don't have the humility or the teachability or they they tend more towards being idle than being industrious. All things scripture said doesn't work for those who are doing ministry. So Paul says, don't be hasty. Don't be hasty with the laying on of hands. Some people are the opposite. It, it just doesn't seem like they'd be a good fit for ministry. They, they don't seem to be what we'd be looking for. But with a little bit of time and a little bit of testing, it becomes apparent. God has indeed called that person to this ministry, and we should be part of commissioning them into it. You perhaps have seen it as I have, and, and uh, it's not a pleasant thing when pastors, when church leaders, when congregations are too hasty to commend a person to a specific ministry, whether it's in the church, local church, or whether it's vocationally, they often come to regret it. We'd be better to take it slow, to test the person, to make sure this is indeed what God has called for this season of this person's life. So what do we do with this? This, uh, this laying on of hands, this foundational truth of Christian living. We need to understand what the Holy Spirit does, and we're going to continue to come back to that to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in giving gifts. But I think we also need to understand there is a congregational opportunity here. There is something fundamental to be in a congregation, a community, a local church, uh, something that we need to be doing. And we've seen two things here. And so let me just suggest, these are, these are not individual applications. These are applications for Beulah Missionary Church as a community of faith. Two things that I just want to draw out. First of all, we lay hands on and pray for new believers, and we've got to continue to do that. We do lay hands on and pray for new believers, and we've got to continue to do that. This is one of the things I love most about Beulah. It's one of the favorite parts of my job here. I have several favorites. That's one of them that whenever we are aware of someone coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we celebrate on Sunday morning what we call a white rose ceremony. This sounds familiar, yes? You've been a part of some of these? You're awake through them? Okay, come on, I was preaching to empty pews for the last seven weeks. Give me some feedback here. All right, so, so you see, we have some white roses over here in the vase on the organ, and what we do is when we are aware that someone has come to Christ, they've chosen to repent and to follow Jesus Christ, we invite them forward, we give them a white rose, white, because white rose represents purity, and that's the beautiful part about coming to Christ, we've been made clean, we keep a white rose up there for us to remember the, uh, the impact that God is making in our congregation, and then the best part of the ceremony comes. We invite men or women, depending on the gender of the person here, to come and to lay hands on the person as we pray for them. 
I don't know about you, but I, I remember not too long ago, this year, the beginning of this year, when, uh, when I, I was choked up to see the men or women come forward and to surround a new believer and lay hands on them and pray for them. We've got to continue to do that. We've got to be serious about laying hands on and inviting the Holy Spirit to come and have his way in that person's life to equip them and gift them and, 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 and compel them into ministry among us. We've got to be willing to lay hands and pray on them that God would do through them what he needs to do to stir us and to keep us moving forward. We do well with that congregation and we need to continue to do well with that. That has to be something we're always intentional about. The second application point I'd like to, to suggest here is we need to be more intentional about laying hands on and praying for church leadership. I think we need to be more intentional as a congregation about laying hands on and praying for church leadership. So functionally here at Beulah Missionary Church, we select our leadership at our annual meeting. Usually that happens late November, early December. There's been a process leading up to it of praying and selecting who those leaders would be. We come together in a meeting, we we vote, we check a box saying, yes, I think this person is called to that ministry, or I think this person more than that person, or whatever it looks like for each office. We tally the votes, and we pray together. We do other things at that business meeting too. And we certainly set, a set aside time for praying. But you know, as I look back over the last few years, I don't recall that we've ever invited our current and new leaders to come and stand before the congregation so that we can lay hands on them and pray for them. That's important. That's one way that we extend God's grace. We become God's conduit of grace and his grace God gives us leaders. And I think we need to be more intentional about saying we do commend these people to lead us. We do commit to allowing the Holy Spirit to work through them and to following them. We must be more intentional about doing that. And so as a congregation, as we move forward, we are going to work to do that. We are going to work to be more intentional about commending and committing uh, to follow the leaders that God has given us. The laying on of hands is a significant way that God communicates his grace to his people through his people. When we lay our hands on someone and pray for them at salvation, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to, to work in them and to give them the gifts that they need for what he's called them to do so that they can impact our church and our community. When we lay hands on and pray for our leaders, we're uh, inviting the Holy Spirit, we're creating a, a visible, memorable sign that that we are willing to follow God's grace and to follow these leaders. All of this is a gift of God. All of this is from God's grace. And so we want to make sure that we're doing that as a community of faith. Now, ideally, if there weren't a global pandemic, we would take some time to lay hands on each other today especially on new believers. We actually have a couple of new believers who during this uh, COVID-19 have come to receive Christ. And I am looking forward to the day when we're all back together. These masks aren't necessary. There's not ropes on the pews and we can lay hands on and pray for those, those two and maybe more by then people. Um, but we can't do that today. 
We can't lay hands on our church leaders today unless they're part of our family. So as we close, here's what we're going to try. This is awkward. This is different, but let's try it together. Can we do that? If you're here uh, in the building or if you're watching online and you have someone in your family who recently accepted Christ, in a moment I'm going to pray. And I would just ask that you would lay your hands on them and, and pray for them or pray along as I pray. Also in this building or perhaps at home, we have church leaders. Now, as I look out, I see some people who uh, serve in church leadership here. And so I'm going to ask if they're in your family, would you just lay your hands on them as I pray, if, if they're okay with that, and only if they're in your family, uh, so that we can in that way do that. Now, we're going to take this one step further, and I'm going to ask across the, the sanctuary, if you are a church leader, you're serving in a church office, you've been chosen by the congregation to do that, would you please stand? I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at. We've got two over here. We've got our, our pastors and Mrs. Lindy. If you would stand, please. Fantastic. And I'm looking across the room. If you're a new believer and we've never had the opportunity as a congregation to lay our hands on you, would you please stand? I, I, think, uh, I think we have some new believers who we did that with earlier. Uh, of course, we have... Uh, Pastor Greg and Mrs. Lindy in the back, their young daughter, Allie. Um, uh, and, no, Allie, I had it right the first time, received Christ. Uh, so we're, we're looking forward to celebrating that. Here's what we're going to do. Um, wh whether you're in your living room at home or here in the sanctuary, we can't physically lay hands on these folks, but I'm just going to invite you to stretch your hand out towards them as if, uh, as if you were laying hands on them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray that God would continue to lead them in their ministry and that we would continue to follow and receive his grace through them. So uh, if you're comfortable, would you stretch your hand out with me? And, and whether you're comfortable or not with that, would you at least bow and pray with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your grace, you find ways to help us communicate your grace to one another. Father, I thank you for the times we've had here and, and the, more, the, the many more times I trust that we will have when, when we can lay our hands on new believers and pray for them. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunity we've had to do that in the last couple months and the opportunities that are awaiting us once we can be back together. Father, we thank you. We ask that in the life of these new believers that your Holy Spirit would have his way. Father, would you gift them for the ministry to which you've called them? Would you give them the courage and the boldness to step out and to, to try things, to see if that is indeed what the Holy Spirit is calling them to? Would you help us to be a place that's safe, where people can try things, where they can see if that is indeed what the Holy Spirit is, is gifting them to do? Would you help us to be gracious and compassionate as people do that? so that we can all find the way that you've gifted us. And Father, we look across the room today and we see church leaders, those who you have called to, to serve us, to lead us in different capacities. And Father, we thank you for those calls on their lives. Father, we ask that you would multiply their fruitfulness. Father, we pray that as they uh, spend time seeking your face and discerning, not only as they do that alone, but that as they do that with the other leaders around them, that you would clearly lead and guide them. Father, would you help us to, uh, to follow these leaders, to not make their responsibilities, their call difficult, but to lift them up in prayer. 
to be willing to do what they've asked us to do, to love them with brotherly love. Father, we thank you for the leaders you've given us and for the way that they are a conduit of your grace in our body. We ask that you would bless them. Father, we love you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the way that you gift us so that we can serve you and serve others. We pray all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.